the garden. So your Twitter avatar is a drawing of a nice round face of a man with a brown beard wearing some kind of bear costume. Uh, the picture was sent to you by a fan. So what made you like it enough to use it as your public avatar? I'm like a huge fan of polar bears. Mm. So uh, when the person contacted me, it was actually like a ransomware victim, right? And I helped them out and um, got them their files back. And they were like a graphical artist, like a cartoonist. So um, they asked if, if I would accept like money or if I want a donation. I said, no, not really. And then they offered, hey, maybe they can draw me an avatar. Mm. So yeah, I said, um, maybe you can draw me a new avatar in like a polar bear costume mm. and like a polar bear onesie. And he said, yeah, sure, right away. And yeah, kept using it. It's quite nice, actually. This is Fabian Wasser, the CTO of a New Zealand-based antivirus company called MSysoft although he's not a big fan of titles. Fabian is known around the world as a hero for decrypting ransomware, which is a particular type of malicious software that is sent out by criminals in an attempt to extort money from their chosen victim. The victims that Fabian helps every day love him. The ransomware hackers he thwarts, not so much. That's another reason he uses artwork for his avatar rather than showing his real face. The kind of work I do, we manage to hurt um, the cyber criminals that are behind all these ransomware campaigns quite a bit. And we are talking about hundreds of millions of US dollars. So they do have um, a real incentive in um, stopping uh, what we are doing. Essentially, I, I pretty much have to protect myself. So I don't really want people to know who I am, where I live and uh, all these kinds of things. Fabian has sacrificed a lot to stay ahead of these kinds of criminals. But in an age in which ransomware is being used to blackmail not only individuals and companies, but even entire cities, his sacrifices are worth knowing about. I also took care of my mom back then, who was quite sick. So I not only had to, to feel like for, for my personal safety, but also for hers. And here comes into play like the reason why I left Germany. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. And this week, I look at what happens behind the scenes during a ransomware attack and examine the life of one individual who spends most of his waking hours trying to help thousands of victims retrieve their data. This is Chips With Everything. For like the longest time, I refused to, to take on the CTO title and always went by, yeah, I'm just like a developer like anyone else. So I'm like the head of the research. Ransomware has quickly become one of the easiest and most efficient ways for cyber criminals to make money. Uh, when you look at um, large ransomware campaigns like Gancrap, for example, I mean, they claim that they made more than two billion US dollars. Gandcrab is just one example of dozens of famous ransomware families. You might have heard of some of them. There's TeslaCrypt, SamSam, Ryuk, Apocalypse, CryptoLocker, and many more with the potential to cause serious damage. The ransomware game has evolved from when we first started seeing these kinds of attacks. 
Like it started off with uh, what is called a screen locker. Those were like those huge screens that said, yeah, we are from the FBI and you did something really, really naughty on your system and we locked up your system and now please pay us like 400 US dollars and pay safe card or you cash or something like that. Then they moved on on encrypting the data because even if you remove the ransomware, you still wouldn't have back access to your data. Mm. And that's pretty much the most prevalent kind of ransomware today. Either your system got hacked because you had like uh, RDP open or some sort of remote control or you didn't patch your system properly. Or you get like a fishy email and it has an attachment and you open it or you download like uh, pirated software from the Internet. Once um, they get access to your system, they will search all your drives and your entire network in most cases for files that the ransomware may think is are interesting or important to you, like pictures, videos, documents, office documents, all this kind of stuff. And then they will encrypt all of them, leave behind like a, a small ransom note that just says, hey, we have all your files and they are all locked up. You won't get them back unless you pay us a certain amount. Many of the past victims of ransomware have been individuals like you and me. You might not think you have much of worth on your desktop PC, but if you have irreplaceable videos from your wedding or photos of your kids, you can see how an everyday citizen might be an easy target. But in the last few years, there's been a shift. Cybercriminals are aiming higher. Stay two now, that network shutdown in Baltimore City and the government after that ransomware attack. The FBI is investigating to find the cause and the scope. WMRT News, Abby Isaacs joins us live now. In May of this year, the U.S. city of Baltimore was hit by a ransomware attack that saw hackers demand 13 Bitcoin, which is currently worth more than $100,000, in order to unlock government systems like government email accounts and systems that enable city payments. Essential services like 911 and 311 are still working, but most of the city's servers are shut down. City employees lost access to emails and the Department of Public Works has suspended late water bill fees. In another high-profile example, the WannaCry ransomware hit a large number of networks across Europe, including the NHS, which lost £92 million from the attack. The number of attacks on individuals, on the other hand, has plummeted in the last 18 months or so. And Fabian says the reason for this sudden shift in targets is due, in part, to the increased popularity of the smartphone. Nowadays, most people have a lot of their private information, like a lot of the data that they really need and really use, like on their mobile phone. And the mobile phone gets synced to the cloud, so they always have kind of a backup. So... For home users, ransomware is still an issue, but it's nowhere near as big of an issue as it once was. Nowadays, most ransomware criminals go after companies specifically. And the reason for that is, especially in the last year, like the ransom amounts, they just exploded. And in my opinion, the reason for that is that most companies and also most municipalities and like governments, universities, they have cyber insurance. And cyber insurance has like two aspects to it. First of all, if you get hit by ransomware, they may pay the ransom. And if you get hacked otherwise, they will pay for the loss of revenue. And in a lot of cases, paying the ransom is a lot cheaper than going through the entire restore process, which can often take days, even weeks. Mm. So it's not unheard of that like a company requires like two weeks, three weeks to recover all their stuff from the from the backup, which means two or three weeks loss of revenue, which the cyber insurance would have to pay. 
In other words, companies and their cyber insurance providers might decide it's more cost-effective to just pay the ransom. But one company went against the status quo. Brief statement from this from them this morning, basically saying that they had an extensive cyber attack which occurred in the early hours of this morning. Um, they say it impacted operations in several of the company's business areas. Norsk Hydro, which is one of the world's largest producers of aluminium, was targeted by hackers in March. Not only did they refuse to pay the ransom, but they decided to tell their shareholders and the general public about the attack. It cost the company millions, but Fabian believes it was the right move. They showed that if you got hit by ransomware, are hacked in any way, if you properly communicate, if you're open with your customers, if you keep people informed, then your company will most likely be fine. Because a lot of companies, when they get hit by ransomware or get hacked in general, lose data in any way, really, they are afraid for what would happen. Like, will our stock price crash? Will our revenue go down? Will we be ruined, pretty much? So in many cases, they try to keep it secret, especially in, in like the advent of the GDPR, for example, where you have to report these things. So things will always get public unless you ignore the GDPR and then you have like a lot of other issues. It's just good to have like an example to point companies to that go through something very similar and tell them, hey, listen, just do what they did. I mean, they are fine. And what is more important, since they didn't pay, they also don't enable like the ransomware authors to go ahead and target even more companies with the new resources and they prevent them from becoming victims. So that's always great. What does ransomware actually look like for someone who's experiencing it? So if you fall victim to this kind of virus, what, what do you see? In most cases, especially in the beginning, you don't see anything. And that's on purpose, because if you would suspect that something is wrong on your system, you may turn it off. And in a way, you would interrupt the encryption process and not everything is fully encrypted, right? You may notice that your system becomes kind of slow. That's because a lot of data is being written to your hard disk, which slows things down. You may see that the files on your desktop change that they suddenly um, have a different extension or you can no longer double click them to open them and uh, things like that. And yeah, and then eventually, once the ransom have finished encrypting all your files, you will usually see a ransom node popping up on your screen. Sometimes the ransom node includes like instructions on how to get Bitcoin because honestly, most people don't really know yeah. um, how to get Bitcoin in the first place. So yeah, that's usually what, what happens when you uh, become a victim. And if you do become a victim, what should you do? Like an individual, what should you do? So this may sound really unintuitive, but the first thing you shouldn't do at all is don't remove the ransomware. And the reason for that is quite simple. Like um, when you contact someone like me, right? In order for me to figure out what the ransomware did, I actually need the ransomware. And if you delete it from your system and you no longer have it, then... I have to find the exact ransomware that encrypted your system. And most people may not be aware of it, but there are literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of new malware files in general per day. Wow. That means you're looking for a needle in like a huge stack of other needles. <laughs> 
uh, if it was hay, it would be great because then the needle would stick out, but it isn't. It's like just this huge <laughs> colos uh, colossal mess, really. So first of all, don't remove the ransomware. You should probably disconnect uh, the system from the network, mostly so the ransomware can't spread through the network, right? Uh, the next step is you need to figure out what kind of ransomware you got. And oftentimes ransomware will say, yeah, I am ransomware Ryuk or I am ransomware um, Gancrab, for example. You shouldn't trust uh, those names. And the reason for that is quite simple. There are a lot of copycats out there. We call them script kiddies <laughs> um, who just try to profit off of like a large ransomware brand and imitating the name and stuff like that. Even though they aren't the ransomware they are claiming to be. And often they are very shoddily programmed and very insecure. So don't do that. There's actually a website uh, that is called ID Ransomware. And there you can upload the ransomware note. And you can also upload one of the encrypted files. And the website will figure out which ransomware family you got hit by. And not only that, it will even tell you if there's like a free... Uh, if, uh, well, a free way to decrypt your files. Mm. So if someone like us already uh, published a free decryptor for this particular ransomware family, then you can just download it and you can just run it on your system and decrypt your files and then you are back to normal. So that's always great. Uh, and last but not least, you also have to figure out like how was it that I got infected by ransomware to begin with? Because Imagine you manage to get your files back and everything is fine. If you don't figure out what you did wrong or, or what went wrong in the first place, you will get hit again. Especially in the case of like Norsk Hydro, for example, they got hit by Ryuk. And Ryuk is what we call a secondary infection. That means their system and their, their network was initially infiltrated by a completely different malware. If they find themselves in a company network, or if they find themselves on a system that looks like really, really juicy, so to say, uh, with a lot of data that looks important, they will actually deploy the ransomware. If you are hit by a ransomware attack and you can't figure out how to fix it by yourself, you can always contact someone like Fabian. A lot of people get in touch with him through Twitter or send him an email. If you need him one day, he'll happily try and find you a decryptor that you can download to rid your system of the ransomware. All of this good work comes at a price. For Fabian, that price is personal safety. There were also incidents where people sent me links on Twitter, for example, that were encoded and encrypted, kind of trying to get me to engage in the riddle and then maybe figure out like the URL and then go to there. And it turned out it was an IP logger. And using the IP address, you can actually figure out like where someone is roughly located. More on that after the break. I'm Emma John, and I'm sorry. I lied to you. It's the spin! I said we'd be happy if England won the World Cup, but lost the Ashes. It's not true. I want it all. I know it's greedy, but positioning the urn next to the World Cup on Ben Stokes's mantelpiece would make this the ultimate summer for English cricket. So join us on the spin as we turn ourselves into emotional wrecks all over again. It couldn't be as nerve-wracking as the World Cup final. Could it? It's The Spin! The Spin is supported by NatWest. West. 
Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. This week, I'm taking a look at ransomware, with one person who spends most of his time trying to prevent cyber criminals from extorting money from innocent victims. Fabian Wasser, a renowned anti-ransomware expert, has worked on thousands of cases over the course of his career. As you can imagine, Fabian's path to becoming a world-renowned anti-ransomware hacker has seen him help a lot of victims along the way. I would think probably a couple of thousand at this point. I mean, I have been doing this for about um, seven years at this point, and usually per week, it's like 10, 15, 20 people. Wow. It's it, it's a little bit seasonal. Christmas is quite popular. Why do you think that is? Is it like older, less tech literate people getting devices or? I think it's more the fact that people send off like virtual greeting cards a lot. So they may be more inclined to open attachments and open emails and like kind of lower their guard a little bit because I think most people nowadays, they are a lot more careful than they were uh, like 10 years ago. But especially for holidays, birthdays, Valentine's Day, for example, Christmas, or whenever there's like some huge event, like the release of the Mueller report, for example, in the US, where ransomware kind of tried to capitalize on these uh, specific events by sending out all kinds of spam emails that relate to these events and kind of try to trick people to open them. What are some of the highest stake cases that you in particular have dealt with, whether by money or just how much the person had to stand to lose? Uh, Recently, I got approached by an MSP, which is like a managed service provider, essentially a company that takes care of like all the IT, the computers of other companies who don't have like IT as their main business, but they do use computers, but they don't really know how to maintain them and stuff. And often those companies are rather small, so it's it's not really cost effective for them to hire their own IT stuff. So they kind of outsource it to these MSPs. And that MSP actually got hacked. And from there, the ransomware authors had access to, I think it was like over 2000 systems <gasps> and they all got encrypted. Oh, wow. So, uh, that was quite a headache. And I think the ransomware amount was um, somewhere between 500,000 and a million. Fabian and the team at MSysoft couldn't find a way to completely save the company from paying a ransom. But in the end, Fabian came up with a solution that drastically reduced the amount they did have to pay. I did find a flaw inside the ransomware that allowed us that if we would purchase the decryptor for only one system, which was obviously way lower, then I could use that one to kind of derive decryptors for all the other systems as well. So in effect, uh, what happened instead of them having to pay like almost a million US dollars, they only ended up paying, I think, like 5K or something like that. Which must have made them quite happy. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, (laughs) definitely. Fabian considers this a win on purely monetary grounds. But the stakes aren't always financial. Fabian told me about a photographer he helped here in the UK. He did like wedding photography and funeral photography, for example, and he got hit by a ransomware called Exorist. He just recently did like a whole bunch of pictures of a funeral and like all of that was lost and obviously he can't just redo the funeral and uh, do the pictures again. And yeah, he was he was quite delighted when when he got all his files back. Uh, And especially if you're like a very small business, even paying like 
a thousand US dollars. You just can't. You don't have the money to do it. So that was quite emotional. I'm, I'm still in contact with the photographer every now and then, actually. Like, he writes me emails and tells me about, like, how he's, how he's doing. He has, like, a daughter uh, who now wants to go into cryptography and uh, wants to do what I do, which is, which is kind, of, kind of sweet, to be honest. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah. You've yeah. inspired a generation. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> so you talk there about how you find you find a flaw in the ransomware code. So so people, they, they find you, they contact you, and then, you know, these problems end up on your desk. How do you go about cracking the code? I presume it's incredibly complicated to the eyes of a regular person. But I think everything is complicated if you've never done it and mm. don't know how to do it. It comes with practice, but usually the process is always um, quite similar. It's like finding the ransomware that's responsible. Then we call it disassembling the code, pretty much. That means we use software to break it down to like the very instructions that the processor executes when running the program. And we look for things it does. And they're like a whole bunch of different flaws. In 2015, Fabian started to notice something odd popping up in some of the ransomware he was being asked to decrypt. Within the code, there were personal insults directed specifically at Fabian. The ransomware criminals were speaking directly to Fabian, not only to send verbal abuse, but to try to get him to stop decrypting their work. I mean, it was honestly quite flattering because it meant I... I they obviously took notice of me, right? And because I'm hurting their business. So it was quite flattering. And I made it a point to just, on my Twitter feed, to like post every single insult that I ever got and pretty much make fun of them. But the messages Fabian was finding in the malware couldn't always be read as flattery. Over time, it got like a lot more personal. Like people were trying to figure out where I live and people... Uh, sent me messages not only in that ransomware but also like in on Twitter like in, in, in various communities and that like they registered and count there and send their insults there. At one point someone even named a virus Fabian somewhere to try to convince potential victims that Fabian himself might be the one targeting them. The virus was actually created by a ransomware family called Apocalypse, a group that Fabian had thwarted several times over. Every time they released a new ransomware, I found it, I, I broke it, and like all the victims got their files back. And then they changed the ransomware because they didn't really know why I broke it or, or how. Um, so they just made random changes all over the place and, and hoping that this time it will be secure. And it never was. And it all went on for like over six months. And eventually they were like so annoyed by it that they just rebranded like their ransomware and they put like a picture of my avatar inside the ransomware uh, of my ransomware doing something very very inappropriate so that was that was pretty bizarre to be honest uh, I still cracked it though so <laughs> that was fine so so eventually they figured out how to do it properly so we could no longer break the ransomware and after they made I think they did make about like 300,000 or 400,000 US dollars in about two months and then they just stopped for the most part, Fabian found humour in the cat-and-mouse game he sometimes ended up playing with ransomware authors. But the insults and threats that he received in the code had a real effect on his life. When he first started getting these messages, he was living and working in Germany. And, like, at one point I received messages from, like, ransomware authors about, like, hey, by the way, we have friends in Hamburg. So that 
was like the point where I thought, eh, okay, maybe I should stop like a little bit or go like a little bit less profile, so to say. Mm. There were also incidents where people sent me links on Twitter, for example, that were encoded and encrypted, kind of trying to get me to engage in the riddle and then maybe figure out like the URL and then go to there and it turned out it was an IP logger mm. and the IP logger essentially it's just like a, a web link and when you click on it it like registers the IP address and using the IP address you can actually figure out like where someone is roughly located. Fabian never actually lived in Hamburg but he decided the risk to his personal safety and the safety of his loved ones was too high. I also took care of my mom back then who was quite sick. So I not only had to, to feel like for, for my personal safety, but also for hers. And here comes into play like the reason why I left Germany. Despite making so many sacrifices, Fabian is still keeping a low profile. No one knows where he lives, he doesn't leave his house much, and he doesn't go back to Germany. All of which can lead to a lonely existence. I'm, I'm obviously always in contact with like all my co-workers and also like friends in Germany. I also have like a couple of friends here. But yeah, when you when you work from home and you don't really go outside much because you don't don't really have to because I mean you're working at home, right? It, it gets lonely from time to time. It's like one of the reasons why I really want like a small dog or, or, or like a cat to keep me company. Unfortunately, my landlord like doesn't really want me to uh, yeah. to get a pan. But I'm looking into moving again soon and this time I made sure to pick like a landlord that allows pets so I may get like a little puppy soon which will be quite fine uh yeah yeah quite quite uh quite nice I hope you do yeah <laughs> me too do you think you'll quit the anti-ransomware game anytime soon I don't think so no no mostly because it's still like a huge issue right so unless ransomware authors suddenly decide hey we just stop doing what we are doing I would probably still do it because personally it, it's quite fun for me I like puzzles really and each new ransomware is pretty much a completely new puzzle completely new challenge so it's it's quite fun and also pretty much every single victim that I manage to help they are like very very thankful and while I do get like a lot of insults from the ransomware authors I get like even more uh, nice words and thank yous and like emails like for example the photographer who still writes me and tells me about like what is going on in his life and stuff like that and, that, and yeah that's quite nice actually huge thanks to Fabian Wasser for getting me up to speed on how I might be able to protect myself from a ransomware attack in the future there'll be a link to Fabian's Twitter account on the episode description on the Guardian website but that's all from me this week. Chips is produced by Danielle Stevens. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Listener.